cliffcentral.com. We've had a number of really fascinating conversations with the amazing people here at uh, TBWA in Johannesburg, in South Africa, um, and now also worldwide. So we reserved for our final episode and for our final time capsule to really denote the incredible achievements of 40 years of this business. Luca, who is the CEO of TBWA Huntlescaris in South Africa. Um, it's a big responsibility. And we found this guy wandering around in, <laughs> yes. in the corridors downstairs. He, was, he looked like he was trying to sort of get his way through the door yeah. to come to the party. We're not sure if he's actually meant to be here. Yeah. I mean, I took a job as an intern this week and uh, <laughs> thought it'd be good because I hear you can come to the party if, you, if he's somehow connected to he's the agency. He's promised us four months of free work in yeah. return for a couple of Well, years you get that every year. You get 12 months. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Troy Rahanen is the global CEO. You're the big boss of TBWA yeah. worldwide. Um, and I'm sure that you two actually mm-hmm. have quite a lot of conversation with we each do. other. I mean, yep. you must be talking a lot of the time. But today, I want you to talk about the place and the yeah, people. Sure. Mm. And the and the stories. I mean, we can go through your CVs, which are very impressive. Both of you, many many awards, being in a position of prominence and and having to make the deciding uh, call on so many things. Mm. But it it is a place that John and Reg said in the first interview is made by the people. Yeah, you think that's right, yeah, Luca? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, you know, I was drawn to this place because of the people. Um, I knew after five minutes of having met John that I had to work here. You were drawn to this place because you were actually from the Eastern Cape and there's no reason you wanted to stay there. I was living in Cape Town at the time, but yes, I thought perhaps there's an opportunity to get back there, you know, as Eastern Capers. Um, But yeah, it it, it really is. It's about the people. It's always been about the people. Mm -hmm. Um, John and Reg, right through to Rena, anyone and everyone who's ever worked here has left an incredible mark on this agency and, it's a real privilege to, you know, be a part of that story in some small way. See, I know that's true because mm. I used to come here occasionally because, you know, Rena would have meetings here and then I'd come and join her. And everybody from, you know, the, the, the women who cleaned the bathrooms, mm. everybody knew everybody's name. Mm. And mm. there was, a, there was an, a friendly atmosphere. There was a fun element to it. Yeah. It was a serious place where stuff got done. But it's also a place where people came because they were passionate about what yeah. they did. And, yeah. you know, that's a difficult thing to manage from mm-hmm. anywhere in the world, but to manage the whole world in, that, in that, yeah. that kind of vibe is a very difficult thing to do, isn't it, Troy? It is, but I feel, you know, I think with our culture at TBWA, I mean, for starters, we, uh, it was Hunt Lascaris first before it was TBWA, <laughs> right? And so uh, the, the trick with, um, with acquisitions is not to change the company that you so badly wanted to buy. And so that's very much why I love the fact in sort of our naming architecture, you know, it's either, you know, the, the local agency first or the local agency second, but there's that backslash in between the two of us. And it's a, it's the backslash is the gateway to the other agency that connects each other. So either to the global agency or to the local agency. So we never ever want to take the name off the door. Like when we buy agencies, we don't want to take the name off the door. It's like we see so, so much strength in that local culture. Because people are attracted to that. And then it's what else can we bring to that to the table as a global company? So what are the tools and uh, opportunities and clients that we can bring and things like that? So it's always about the one plus one in this scenario. And we will never buy an agency for a client. We don't do that. We And John has been religious about that from the day you know, I've known him. We always buy it for the people. 
then we buy it for the management, and then we buy it for the second tier of management. We want to know what the succession plan is. So we always buy the people because the people make the culture and the people make the work. And then it's up to us to be able to help them get to their best potential, you know, reach that potential. So I think we're incredibly fortunate in this culture to have that. So whether it's Chai Day or you know, Lulara, you go around the world, Tehran, there's so many of them. That's the beautiful thing, and Hunts is like the shining example of it. it but with, the all these, with all these children, do you ever forget who's who? <laughs> no, never, because their cultures are so different, and, and it's about understanding, embracing difference, but unifying it through the lens of disruption. And I think, yeah, that, that's like, we don't have well, an idea. the word, right? I mean, when it I is. think yeah, yeah. TBWA, the yeah. disruption yeah. word, you've managed to brand that properly. Let's be honest, right? There, there are a lot of global networks that I don't know what they stand for. And if we're just being blunt, right? And I don't know how you can advise a client if you don't know who you are yourself. And I think, you know, we really do understand ourselves and we're very proud of who we are and we're united by that across the globe. So then it's a matter of then understanding that there is strength and difference. And then it's how do we work as a, what we call as a collective. So we decided seven years ago to get rid of the name network. We hate that phrase because it's all about dot to dot and how many offices do you have and, it seems very ego-driven and not very connected. And I think and well, we're much more. like a technical term. It does. It sounds, um, to be honest with you, it sounds like a guy's resume. And and yeah, we're not really interested in that. And I think we're much more interested in, like we always talk about 11,000 creative minds. Like that's the thing we talk about. Never, and I don't even know how many offices I have. I don't count it. I mm. purposely <laughs> don't. But I do know, Luca, I do know people's names. Right. And I'm much more interested in terms of what are we doing, how are we progressing, and how is the agency culture coming along. And I can tell Three minutes walking into the door, how we're going. So, Luca, I mean, you've you've known Reg and John for a while, and before that probably by reputation. Yeah. And I'm sure you've got some funny stories about, first of all, how you got involved here and, and how that first meeting might have gone with John, for example. Yeah. But I know you've also got some stories. So tell us, just to mm. be nostalgic for a minute, yeah. because it's worth doing sure. this after 40 years L- of celebrating. Yeah, look, I mean, the, I met Reg in the strangest place. I was <laughs> at a client event in Franschhoek at a client dinner where Reg had no business being. And there was a band playing on stage and midway through the set, they started to introduce the members of the band and the lead guitarist was interviewed as advertising legend, Reg Lascaris. I was like, <laughs> what? And I was working for a competitive agency at the time. I was like, why oh, is that really Reg? And I kind of <laughs> squinted my crappy eyes and I looked, I was like, shit, it really is Reg. So in the break, yeah. I ran up to Reg and I said to him, Reg, my name is Luca. You've never met me. It's a mm. genuine privilege to get to meet you. He mm. was like, fantastic. And then I had to re, had to, uh, reintroduce I mean, he's, myself he's the most to him humble guy back in, in front shock. But isn't he the most humble guy ago. ever? I mean, no, amazing. Here is absolutely he's, amazing. He's been a part of the, the advertising story of this country in ways that, oh, yeah. I mean, you cannot replicate. Yeah. And he's just so chilled about it. Oh, it's nice to meet you. Totally. Tell me about you. Meanwhile, he's playing the guitar like a rock star as well. Uh, you know, I think we use the word <laughs> kind of legend and icon quite flippantly. Yeah. Um, and I think that there are very few genuine icons, specifically in our industry. We tend to, to glorify people maybe a, potentially a little bit too often. Um, but I think John and Reg stand alone, really, as genuine icons of the industry in South Africa mm-hmm. and, and genuinely and globally. You know, yeah. I can't speak... You know, personally, having lived or worked in in in, in other agencies around goes, the world, but like, I know that it's almost like Tom and Jerry, Rick and Morty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Rich, you know? exactly. Yeah. When I used to work, yeah, when I used to work for a competitive agency, my father would always go, 
Hunter Scars, Hunter Scars, you know. And Must have irritated was, you, um, but it, it irritated me at the time. But I feel very <laughs> privileged to be here. No, it's amazing. Um, and and for you, Troy, when was the first time you encountered John? Well, um, so <laughs> I just got the job, and uh, I get this call uh, from John Hunt, who I obviously knew the name. And uh, being Australian, obviously, we admired the fact that there was this great South African agency that was dominating the world creatively. Yeah. So anyone in the Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, you kind of all want someone to succeed on that front. And so we all knew about them. But I hadn't had the chance to obviously through the process to meet him. And then I get this call after I just joined. And John's like, look, it's fabulous. I'm really glad you're here. I'd love to come and see you. I'm like, well, that'll be a privilege, John. Thank you so much. Uh, I really welcome the opportunity. He goes, how about I come in about three, four weeks? I'm like, superb. That'd be great. Let's meet. So I'm really looking forward to it because I've heard so much about this guy. And um, so he comes into the office and uh, he says, uh, look, it's really great to meet you, but um, I want to resign. And I was like, uh, I think my 12-year-old has dated girls longer than, than we've had actually been together right now. That is the shortest romance I've ever seen. Did between. he mean it or was he waiting? Yeah, he was like, look, I think it's time. I think I'm done. I'm like, how about we go have lunch, John? Let's just go have lunch and have a bit of a chat. And then let's just get to know each other a little bit. And then we'll see how it kind of goes from there. So I've been taking John to lunch now for the last nine years, just keeping putting it off for as long as what we possibly can. <laughs> and uh, he is gleefully happy. Look, the place was in a different different uh, state then. And, um, and you know, we're obviously a far, you know, far cry from that. And, um, and I think John is just has just been such an incredible partner to me, you know, working with the Creative Collective. He has such respect. You have no idea about the the people who are the creative leaders of our company, how much they look up to him. Mm. Some true name, they call him Dad. And um, he has that much respect for them. They will literally say, Dad, I need some advice. And uh, wow. so he's uh, an incredible mentor beyond obviously a creative you know, evaluator and uh, someone who can help facilitate getting that work to from good to iconic. Um, he's just an incredible human being. Mm. And so he's able to do that. And then Reg, you know, he's the Greek god. I mean, everyone knows that. He doesn't age. The no. guy uh, looks Magic. like he's still 45. And, um, <laughs> Clearly. But, you know, I feel for Luku because everyone else in this company seems to go bald. But only Reg <laughs> and Luke. So <laughs> Luke is going one way or the other. I don't it's know which Mediterranean way. thing they've got <laughs> going. Yeah, right. he seems to be. But the rest of them down here, they seem to be losing it, mate. But I know, uh, I'd be worried I know, for you. Right? But, uh, so you, you hinted at something just now that I think is worth just exploring for a minute because the accolades and things I want to talk about too, that really matters in this industry. It's a, mm. it's a very important barometer mm-hmm. for where you are. And you guys have got shelves and shelves full mm. of awards. Um, Luca, when it comes to managing the place through the ups and the downs, yeah. and now you're in charge here and you're in yeah. charge globally, yeah. how difficult is that? And how, how, how much has advertising changed? Because nothing can really prepare you for all of that. Mm. Yeah. I th- you know, I think, you know, Troy often speaks about us being in beta, and I don't, I, I don't always being in beta, and I, I, I don't want to steal, you know, no, you a little bit of his thunder, but I think that that's, that's, it's a mode of operating that you just, you have to become accustomed to. You have to become accustomed always testing yourself, always testing yourself, always understanding that that every day is going to bring different challenges, and you're going to need to learn and evolve through those. Right, um, and that's just because you know I was successful yesterday, yeah. and I can hopefully apply those learnings today, doesn't mean that, the, that what got me to the successes of the past will get me to the successes of the future. So, you know, this, this, this constant need to live with the kind of discomfort that that brings the constant need to, 
I suppose, develop new kinds of muscle memory in terms of how we apply ourselves every single day in our jobs and creating an environment where everybody understands that that kind of the muscle memory that's brought them to this place that often brings comfort is something that we need to continue to test because it's only when you tear at things and embrace certain tensions that you're able to evolve effectively Mm. and create the kind of environment where innovation can really and truly live. And if we're not innovating as an agency through our creative product, through the technologies we're using, then we're redundant, you know, just because the spreadsheet um, or the balance sheet may tell a story that's, I'm not really that interested in that. There's a feeling in the place that, that it is the canary well, down the you, gold You mine, said you right? could walk in and tell how you're doing almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Is, is that is that like a sixth sense or do you get the feeling from the work that's coming out? Do you get the feeling from the attitude of the people yep. inside? I mean, a lot of what Luke is saying is, yep. you know, I'm not, I'm not in the business, sure. but it, it makes perfect sense to me what yeah, you're yeah. saying. Is that a top-down thing or is it a bottom-up thing? Bottom-up. Without doubt, and I think we're very much a bottom-up culture. You know, we talk about being the world in versus New York out, mm-hmm. and I think that's a strength of ours. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get uh, energized, you know, solutions that come from four corners of the world, and we find whatever we think is great, and then it's all about share, speed, and scale. So that's what we mean about, like, always being better. It's like there's always room to improve and always be able to go discover what's next. And mm-hmm. so how do we make sure that we keep innovating and staying ahead of, you know, the competition, but also – really catching up to the consumer because the consumer is ahead of us more than anyone, right? So so it's more about, you know, making sure we have that mindset, you know, getting rid of complacency. I mean, um, sure. you know, we have the disruption label to live up to. You you can't be stagnant when you're disruptive. Mm-hmm. And um, so you've always got to be looking for that next thing. And then, you know, I want to make sure that we keep reminding ourselves always, look, we're a creatively driven company. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a creative company is a curious company. Mm-hmm. It is always looking for what's next. It's mm. always trying to see what's around the corner. It's always looking for that solution that no one's ever seen before. And so I love disruption. Like I love the notion of that. I remember I was at a different agency in 2003 and presented it to our board and told them that I thought that this was genius. And then I joined 11 years later. But sure. I just you know really believe in that mentality. And so we really do um, – You'd be amazed at how many things come from offices of under 70 people that mm. are now deployed globally. Mm. So, so it really does prove, and I love that coming in, and we believe in that coming from, you know, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, you know, those kinds of places mm. where you can change the whole company from that corner of the world. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. Well, both of you can answer this one because I think John and Reg's initial vision was to create a world-class agency mm. from South Africa. Mm. And I don't think it's, you know, it's any misrepresentation of what's happened. South Africa seems to be a place where because there are unbelievable challenges and it's completely different and it's diverse as hell, we come up with quite a lot of interesting ideas. And I'm sure that there are ways, Troy, that you've seen that South Africa's kind of led the way for the rest of the business. Oh, yeah. It's, um, uh, this is a holding company without the bureaucracy of a holding company. That's how do you manage that? Because that, it's easier said than done. No, how does he manage that? Right. So <laughs> well, I mean, he does that incredibly well because it's a matter of not looking at it as like it's a spreadsheet. Right. And that's what people ultimately fall into that, that it keeps a level of siloism happening versus really getting it to collaborate and be able to come together. So you could probably work out how many times you see Magna Carta, Yellowwood and Grid all next to hmm. what these guys are doing. 
mm-hmm. right? And then we've got all of our relationships, and they really come together often. Mm. And so it's a matter of understanding that there's strength in in numbers and being able to do that. And then it's about obviously surprise and delight, like them when, mm. what, the, what the output is. Yeah. So like when Pete Curry did, you know, Joburg Ballet, it's like one of my favorite things. I don't yeah. know if you remember that work, but absolutely. it was absolutely superb, right? And that was a demonstration of us being able to really embrace disruption live. And he showed the way that it didn't have to just be like a retweet back at somebody. Yeah. It was actually a way or, of- Or a I'm massive uh, income stream. <laughs> it wasn't going to be with a Joburg yeah. Ballet, right? No, and, and, but it was a way of us understanding like this is a behavioral change as a company that we need to look at. Right. He took that, did it superbly, did it with craft. It was an absolute showcase for our company. So, I mean, that's what I mean. There's just yet another example mm. of how this company has credibly shown the way for, for our network, our collective. You agree with, with yeah, that? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I Have do. you ever felt I like, do. have you ever felt like, New York has imposed itself on you. No, no, never. Actually, I would because Troy does, he does create a kind of environment where, you know, I can speak frankly oh, yeah. about things. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I, I feel very lucky to work in an environment where I feel like I'm accountable to deliver on what is my, is my mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm given the space to do it in the way that I believe is right. And I get to do it with all of the support that I believe I need that is always there when I need it, whether it be Troy is if I send and I, and I often tell people, you know, the accessibility I have to Troy is remarkable. If I ever, if I'm ever in trouble and even if it's not trouble with a big, with a capital T, right? Small T, I can always just send him a WhatsApp and I know within 10 minutes he'll, he'll be on the phone to me or there'll be a WhatsApp back. And that's, remarkable and i don't and i don't have to use it often because i know that we think in similar ways and i know that i have his his full backing which is which is that's fantastic very, that's because, very cool you know you, you you mentioned the question about or you mentioned the statement about south africa as a as a country and as an environment and you know i think that our industry is quite reflective of of that environment mm. in terms of you know innovation does grow in south africa we do we are exporters of innovative resilient people mm-hmm. Um, because we are an environment that is fraught with tension, yeah. right? Some good, some bad. Um, but we use that tension hopefully positively. And within our agency world, to create the holding company without the, the bureaucracy is you've got to embrace the tensions that exist, right? And diversity inevitably will, will tensions will emerge. The challenge is how do you harness those tensions mm-hmm. to create more interesting solutions and how do you eliminate the toxic tensions? So being very deliberate about what are the toxic tensions? How are we eliminating those things? What are the positive tensions? How are we doubling down on those things? Well, I mean, ironically, the, the tensions are a great source of disruption. 100%. Which is what you're looking yeah, for, 100%. right? So if, if that's your goal, this is a 100%. great canvas to play on. If, if, we, if I came into this role and sought to engineer all the tension out of our business, there's no question it would be an easier business to work on the inside mm. of but it'd be a hell of a boring land and the work which would the work wouldn't be what the work should be. Yeah. So that's why it's also worthwhile having people back in the office because the platform of, you know, teams or whatever you want, zoom, it didn't have as much tension in it. Didn't have as much depth to the conversation. Didn't have as uh, much stretch. And so, um, yeah, my old boss used to say, look, it's okay to, you gotta learn how to manage friction because that's how you get fire. And I thought that's, (laughs) A really good mm. way of 
you know, understanding our job as leaders ultimately, and John's had to do that for all of his career in Reg, you know, to be able to really understand all the skills that are at the table, understand different points of view, but then get them to that place where they need to get to. And so I think uh, and that's why we love the job, to be honest with you, because it's not the same job every day. But it is also very difficult to manage creative people. They always say it's like herding cats. And do you think that it would be <laughs> it would be easier to do what you do if it was just the, say, the financial people or those hugely organized and systematized people? Because the creatives almost, yeah. you know, they, they mm. do have to run wild a little bit. It would be easier for someone else to do. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't want Because it. I wouldn't be interested in being here. <laughs> You know, quite frankly, yeah. um, you know, Troy and I, uh, we're both in this game because we're inspired by the work. Yeah. We're both in this game because we're inspired about being a meaningful part of producing amazing work because that's our, that's our product at the end of the day. And, and yes, you know, creative people are different, but that's the beauty of it. I mean, you know, we've got to, we've <clears> got to <throat> embrace all types in our business, yeah. particularly the misfits, actually. And they want to be with you. I hope so. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I think uh, – my first boss, uh, um, even though I wanted to be on sort of client service and those days we didn't have planning, but um, they, uh, he made us do a portfolio in our first year, um, even though we didn't want to be a creative. Mm. And his whole motivation was so that we would understand how difficult it was and what our responsibility was in helping someone look at a blank piece of paper and make it into something. So it was a really great bit of guidance there to be able to sort of understand, like we all have a role and getting the work to there. I think it's when creators get frustrated when people don't care as much on the mm. other side. And so when they see a level of apathy or just like order taker or whatever mm. else, that's when they get frustrated because they don't feel a partner that's with them. They're trying to help solve the problem. Mm. I've never had a difficult conversation with a creative when you're really trying to be constructive. You know, so I just don't think that that's an issue. I have petulant planners. I have account barons. You have them all, <laughs> right? It's all different types, but the job is, Get everyone around the table. Let's really understand what the opportunity of the problem is. Let's go work at it. You know, and that's why you need people that really do want to be together. How much of advertising has changed because now it's there's a lot of data involved. There's a lot of technology involved. You know, if I look at some of the stuff that this agency is most famous for from yesterday, mm -hmm. right the way back to when John and Reg started in '83, mm -hmm. um, there is a there is a, a genuine output of just amazing work. Mm. But it has become harder, I'm sure, because now, Luca, you've got so many more inputs. Mm. You know, you've got social media and you've got people who are constantly yeah. commenting and appraising work that yeah. isn't for them even. Yeah. And they're the these people who are tempted to make knee jerk reactions because yeah. something is getting, you know, some kind of trending going on Twitter or something and you suddenly get nervous about yeah. stuff that before you wouldn't listen to some guy shouting at you on the street. And that's yeah. effectively what Twitter is. Yeah. Um, how much do you have to incorporate that thinking into sometimes being braver than you might've been when you yeah. didn't have to listen to people? Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, it, it has changed. And I think that the, I think the creative process is always enriched by stimulus. All right. I'm always interested mm. by, interesting diverse stimulus being in the space right and i think that what social media has done and the amplification of voices and certainly the proliferation of data has provided 
more interesting stimulus mm. um, that are the building blocks for any creative idea. I think that the challenge is always to become, we've had to become more effective at filtering out the noise mm. um, because there's a lot of noise and that comes at, that's noise mm-hmm. we create in our own heads. That's noise that, engage, that, that exists in our client relationships, to, yeah. 100%. So, you know, I think that the, you know, the creative processes or, and the role of strategy has always been about taking a lot of noise, a lot of complexity and making it yeah. unbelievably simple. Yeah. And I think that that is a truth that still exists today. I think that sometimes we forget that as an industry I think if we could reorientate ourselves around that thing, um, I think as an industry, particularly in South Africa, would be all the all the richer mm. for it. Yeah, no, I think uh, well said. I think you know we talk on you know one of the things we say on Apple is that strategy is about sacrifice, mm. and so it's okay to get a number of inputs, but in the end, we have to get down to clarity. Mm. And I think um, you know I think that there's been lots of great inspirations from data points that have come in. Mm. So. I think the only challenge is is not to try to put them, you know, into a handful and then mm. throw it at the consumer, <laughs> hoping that they catch all those messages. Mm. Um, so it's a matter of about being clear with, you know, with what you're going to do with that empirical bit of advice. Mm. I think that the challenge with data, I think, is a little bit about um, this fascination of buying media ahead mm. um, when you haven't really interrogated the brief and looked at the customer journey and about how you could really disrupt that. Mm. I think sometimes there's a bit of a presumption and it's done from an efficacy standpoint where you look at the sort of year ahead of media, you book this, you do that, but you don't really know what the business challenge is at that time. You don't know the competitive context at that time. You don't really know the business problem you're solving at that time. So how could you already make the decision on how you're going to then show that to the world? And it's harder than ever to reach people because there's so much noise. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely cluttered. I mean, I think I think a lot of clients need to really take a hard look at how much messaging they have themselves out there. I mean, one of the things that I say, you know, a lot of clients ask me, they're like, well, what's one of the advices that you would give me? And and I'd say I would reduce your marketing stuff. Really? I think you got too many marketing people. Because too many marketing people <laughs> ha- create too many, they believe, and I understand why. There's a lot to do in marketing. I actually have a lot of empathy for clients because I think they're, they've, um, they've got a lot to, to cover in terms of the experience now. However... There are too many people who then have a, a thing that they need to then go prove. They've got to go message yeah. something. So then they go and employ somebody, you know, go employ somebody different, whatever else. And then you just get this fragmentation of the strategy. Mm. There are too many messages out there. Mm. So then you get to dilution ultimately. Mm. And so, you know, I think in the end, I do think it's a matter of like really getting clear, looking at how much you're out there, because if you're creating your own clutter first, then you go up against your competitor. Then you go up against culture. You're screwed. Yeah. So you really got to be very clear about a few things that you want to be as a as a business, and then do that superbly well to break through against your category. And then hopefully the world notices you. Mm. You know. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? No, I think I think Troy's 100 percent right, and I think that you know there's I think there's a proliferation of a lot of average out there. I think in yeah. terms of the work, I, I don't see. I'm quite hard on us as an agency and quite hard on us as an industry. And I think that the work is, isn't good enough. And I think it's because we've become very distracted by that, by what Troy is, is talking about now. I think if we, if we were, if we got back to focusing on the power of an amazing creative idea and how that idea manifests through the whole customer and consumer experience, I think we'd be, I think we'd start to see better ideas manifest and more impact happening um, in terms of our, clients, brands, and businesses. So you guys have 
you know, as part of, of this business, received just about every accolade in the book. I was talking to John about his Hall of Fame mm, thing the other day. Great. I mean, yeah. that's just a, a crowning achievement on mm. years and years yeah. of doing incredible mm. stuff. And I know how important that is, not just because the clients like it and not just because the rest of the advertising industry looks to it and goes, okay, that's the best. Mm -hmm. But what does it actually mean to you guys as the head of the business here in South Africa and globally? Uh, are you looking at that in some spreadsheet where and counting up the awards or is there something else going on? Is there another way to evaluate this? Well, I don't like the way in which can has gone um, oh. at all. Um, and I do feel like it's uh, through companies that are obsessed with getting short lists and getting bronzes and whatever else. I only really care about Grand Prix and golds. I don't really care about the rest and where we finish <laughs> on a table. No one remembers where Wyden finishes any year. No. Right? No, we don't really, we don't care if we finish third or, or tenth. We don't really care. We know what's good work. We've done thousands of pieces of good work. So I'm much more interested about what do we think? Like, do we really think that that is the best work that we're doing right now? So, and I'm only really interested in really breaking through and then that it really delivers massive impact. So for me, you know, when it adds up to being something like, okay, we're the most innovative company in the world, like I like those those accolades. That feels great. That feels like yeah. we continue to progress. And if you get a network of the year award, mm. that's great because it means that everyone's winning and everything else. But I know we just had a, a worldwide crave director meeting and I sit through that for three days. We go through all the ads. I go through it every time because that's our product. And we sit there and we know in that room where we are. We don't need any other judge to tell us. It's great <laughs> to get confirmation. That's powerful. But we know and we know where we got to improve and what we need to do. The bigger thing is, the thing I love is after Can, and John does this with me and Pete doesn't, um, we go to Paris on Monday and Tuesday after Can, and then we look at every single piece of work that we did versus the work that won. Hmm. And then we say, what's the difference? Hmm. And then it's about taking those learnings and then going back and reapplying that inside of our next chapter of work. And they're my two favorite days of the year. Wow. Yeah. Awards? Look, I mean, by nature, we were talking about this last night, I'm pathologically competitive. So let's just start there. That's why you're in charge. Um, <laughs> That's why I kind of like Lucas. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, um, look, it is important. Uh, you know, I, I and, and for all the reasons Troy mentioned, I think, you know, awards for us are an objective measure on, on how we're doing. Um, I, I, I want us to be winning all of the time quite frankly, whether it be on creative award stages, whether it be on creative effectiveness award stages, whether it be on digital award stages, whether mm -hmm. it be on the ad focus agency of the, of the year stage. I think, I think awards bring a certain, they, they demand excellence of you consistently. Mm -hmm. um, it sets a standard and a legacy that is to be maintained. And I think that that puts a positive sort of level of pressure into a business and it says, you know, what is the standard we expect of our of ourselves? And that standard is incredibly high, and and, and it's just, and it creates a sense of responsibility, right? At the end of the day, um, this is a we're living in a time where creativity is more important than it's than it's ever been. Um, and I want to make sure that we have the best bench of creative thinkers in the country in our agency collective, whether that be in the creative department, in the strategy department, in the account management department. At, at reception, I don't really, I don't yeah. really care. I want everyone yeah, to be stimulated. It by sort that. of reminds me of that line. I think it was from The Rock, where Sean Connery 
one of the characters says, I'll do my best. And Connery goes, your best. Yeah. Losers always whine about their best. <laughs> Winners go home and yeah. fuck the prom queen. <laughs> and I mean, it's so probably yeah, not that, PC for 2023, yeah. but yeah. that's that's still well, the Sean attitude. Sean Connery, right? though. Yeah, yeah, very Sean Connery. <laughs> he lives up to his. So yeah. looking ahead, because you guys have got the steering wheel in front of you. Mm-hmm. You're at the controls. What do you think is going to happen in advertising? How are you positioning yourselves to be disruptive in the future? And what kinds of ambitions do you have for the business? We'll start with you, Luca. I mean, I think, you know, we, I think as, adver- as advertisers and marketers, we've always known that um, every opportunity, every moment a consumer engages with a brand is, is an opportunity to, to have an impact, right? And that a brand is a sum total of somebody's experiences that they've had throughout their entire lives. I think our ability to impact that meaningfully with, with real intelligence is more potent today than it's ever been. And the opportunity for us is to be the best at doing that, quite frankly, to make sure that we understand the consumer better than we've ever understood the consumer. And I think, to be frank, I think there was a period sort of between 10 and 20 years ago when I first got into the industry, we lost sight of that, right? We, I think we used to have very strong, insightful people in our business. And I think that the, you know, the rise of sort of the internet and this, the common window on the world, I suppose, blunted strong, positive insights. And I think now that we've able to identify sort of insight at quite a granular level, gives us a real opportunity to inject true insight. When I say true insight, I mean with a capital I, um, back into back into the thinking and the work. And it's it's our responsibility to to be those custodians of each each and every one of those touch points for our for our, for our clients. I think the um you know, my forecast ahead would be that more work is going to look alike. Um, I think there's going to be uh, a lot of conventions that are going to be built based around platforms, um, based around, I think, uh, some clients using data that tell them and testing that sort of gets them to a very familiar place. So I think that, unfortunately, more is going to look like that, which I think is a great opportunity for a company like us because we want to go up against that. So I think... Unfortunately, creatively, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of worse advertising. Um, and then there'll be those that then stand out. Secondarily, I think, um, there'll be, there'll be a bunch of bad agencies that are going to go out of business, just like bad banks, just like bad airlines mm-hmm. that will go out of business. There'll be more merged agencies and they're not too distant future, no doubt. And some of those holding companies and whatnot, those that don't believe in the brands as much. And, um, and there'll be more entrants that will come in that will be different. Yeah, more. We've seen a lot of independence rise, you know, in the last few years around the world. So I think, yeah, there'll be those that still you know want to stand out and specialize in certain areas. So I think there's just going to be that dynamic, and so that's why the imperative is to keep evolving. Mm. You know, that look at every day as the next chapter, and mm. yeah, look at I, you know, know that you know we constantly talk about look, we're never going to retire satisfied, mm. and we're never going to really reach our full potential. Mm. It's just because mm. the business changes all the time. So you just have to get used to that. And the fact is you've got to just keep moving and changing. So so for us, it's not about being the masters of what we have done. It's about, you know, starting to be the students and the people who can apply about what's coming next. And um, and that's exciting for, you know, curious creative mind. You want to be, I, I want to learn more things. Yeah. So um, I think that's a, that's a pretty exciting place for, for a great company that believes in itself. Love it. I mean, uh this this idea of always being in beta, always yeah. being mm. fighting fit, um, and 
you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Oh yeah. But you've got to you got to take the the chances, right? Yeah. And I, and come up with stuff that's completely wacky. Sometimes it gets yeah. you into big trouble. Yeah. And sometimes do uh, all the things that are unconventional, yeah. no matter yeah. how unpopular they seem at the beginning. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Uh, I don't. I remember when I was in Australia, we were fired from a client that was our number one client. They were at an all-time high, high in sales, in equities, everything, and we got fired. And um, they basically had fired all their suppliers, anyone that was a supplier to them. They fired everyone. They called it a refresh project. And um, and so I don't ever live in fear of being fired anymore because even when we're great, we can be fired. Hmm. So all I'm more worried about is can we live up to being great? And I just want to go do great work because – after that, I can't control anything else. I know that. I can control what we do. And uh, and so I think that's the thing I'm most worried about is if we look around the room and we just see good, that's not going to be very satisfying mm. to me. We've got to get to – we have great. to get to that next level. And that's what John and Reg have shown here. They mm. thought beyond South Africa. Mm. They thought well beyond these borders that they wanted to get to a world-class level, and they did it. And I think that's that's the crowning achievement for me, which is – Never confine yourself to a small opportunity. You know, I mean, really look beyond that. And I think you know, John and Reg have shown a way to a host of people that have come through here mm. that have gone on to careers in many great places and done some amazing things. And I think they're just a great example of how you can think much bigger than the place that you're born in. Can't yeah. think of a better way to end it than that. Um, thank you both so much. Uh, power to you both. I awesome. hope it's going to be another 40 years of incredible Me too, things. Man. Yeah, I won't fair. be here. I promise you. <laughs> I don't know if any of us will. <laughs> no chance. Luca probably will. He's, he's, he's aging better than the yeah, rest of us. Uh, he's Italian. You know, they always look good. But uh, yeah, I think this is just a, a, a tremendous place to be and happy 40th. Thank, Thank you, man. Gareth. Thank, Thank you, you very man. much. Thank Appreciate cool. it.